in the glory forever and ever. Amen. Welcome to the podcast. In and Through exists to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name is Tim. And my name is Marshall. And today, we're bringing you guys a bonus episode. Bonus episode. You're welcome. Hmm. What can I this say? This one's free. Except you're w- it is. I mean, they're all free. But this one is also free. <laughs> also free. <laughs> yeah, and so what are we going to be talking about today? Hold yeah. on, before we do that. What? What? Why? Speaking of bonus episodes. Oh. Okay. We're recording this on September 3rd. Yes. At some point along the way, we missed a milestone. <gasps> Three weeks ago, we recorded our 50th episode. Oh, wow. That's Aww. that's great. Happy 50th. Thanks. Thanks. I'm more excited for 100. That'll be a big deal. At this rate, we'll have that by like... March? January. You think so? We'll get on it. Let's get on <laughs> it. <laughs> bonus bonus episode. Yeah, I mean, we, st- we started last week in December. Mm-hmm. And uh, you'd think it would take almost a year to get 50 episodes, but we've done so many bonus episodes. Yeah, it's true. So we'll have a giveaway. Anyone who has listened to all 50 episodes will receive a free congratulations. <laughs> I was really unsure of where you were going with that. I, I was only doing it because your eyes were getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> like, what is this going to cost like, me? What? Are we going to make t-shirts, Tim? Um, let's bring that to the elders. Anyways, moving on. Uh, Eric. Eric could make t-shirts. Eric, yeah, actually. Eric is an aspiring tailor. He could sew them up for us. He can make some nice shirts for us. Yeah. So today we're going to be talking about the intertestamental period. Intertestamental period. That's right. That's the, the period of time that's in between the Old and New Testament. Right. We're talking about like 400 years. Yeah. We, we want to do this because chronological reading is what we're aiming for this year. Yep. Uh, which means the, the flow of history has a big place in the way that we're studying the Bible, yep. uh, because we want you to understand from creation until revelation what the flow looks like, the big picture, and how to sew all these things together. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to do that without a discussion on intertestamental time, yeah. because we have 400 years where there's some stuff that happens, but it doesn't show up in the Bible. Yeah, but we have to address it, because, I mean, 400 years, I mean— to give people some perspective, that's the difference of time between kind of the first settlers coming to North America and now. Right. Like, it's a huge amount of time. Right. Right. And so to just not fill in the gaps for people seems like it'd be doing a disservice. And because some of the things that happen in between that time, not only are fulfillments of things of the Old Testament, but also kind of pave the way for the new and kind mm-hmm. of set the stage for what's going to happen starting next week. It's not a lie. So let's talk about it. Yeah, let's talk about it. Let's start with empires. Mm-hmm. So as we're reading through uh, the exile literature, we have already come across the Babylonian Empire. Yeah, that is used of God to dismiss the Jews from the Promised Land and to send them into exile. And in that time, there is a dream in Daniel chapter two, right? Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and in this dream, he sees a large statue. And we talked about this while we were covering the time uh, that Daniel tells him, you are the head of gold, and then after you, there will be the the breast and arms of silver, Mm -hmm. the belly and thighs of brass, the legs and feet of iron and clay. Yep. But he doesn't tell us who those are. No. History does. Right? It does. So the next, so the Babylonian Empire, numbers I have, 607 to 539. Yep. Okay. And and we do know who the next one is, according to Scripture. Yeah, it's Persia. Yeah, the Medo-Persian Empire, mm-hmm. because the writing on the wall. That's right. And the Medes come in. Mm-hmm. And so we have the Medo-Persian Empire, which is what we've been talking about. As we've been talking about Esther and Nehemiah, mm-hmm. Ezra, so all of this has been, the first part of the exile was under Babylon, then we see in Daniel the transition into the Medo-Persian Empire, mm-hmm. which will run up to 332. Yep. And then, 
There's the belly of brass. Yeah. And then and then it goes on to the legs of iron and clay. Sure. Which is going to be Rome, mm-hmm. which we'll get plenty of time to talk about Rome in the New Testament. That's true. So let's focus on that belly of thighs and brass for a bit, sure. because this is a truly intertestamental empire. That's true. It yeah. only takes place in the silence of Scripture. Mm-hmm. Yet, there's a splash. Oh, for sure. And ripple effect mm-hmm. that continues today. Correct. Yeah. I would say probably the sh- easily the shortest of empires, arguably the most influential of the four. Yeah. Yeah. No, I would agree. I'd agree with that. Yeah. So, I mean, as we mentioned, when the Old Testament closes, the Persian Empire is in control. Judea is essentially a province within that empire. Mm-hmm. That empire has been pretty good to the people of Israel. Right. It has not only sent a good number of those people back to their to their homeland, but also funded the rebuilding of the temple and the city mm-hmm. of Jerusalem itself. Uh, but many of the Jews are still scattered throughout the ancient Near East. The majority mm-hmm. of the Jewish people are not in Judea at this point in time. Right. Despite this return, right? And then, yeah, 332 BC. And then along comes Alex. Alexander the Great. If he must say so himself. Yeah, right. And he would. And he did. Um, <laughs> yeah, who is uh, the young king of Macedonia mm-hmm. up in northern Greece. And uh, he is conquering, I mean, he, he is conquering the entire known world, essentially, is right. what he's doing. Right. Uh, he conquers Palestine in 332 BC. He's in his early 20s at that point. Right. Um, and he continues east from Palestine through the rest of the Middle East, all the way into India Mm -hmm. by the time he's in his early 30s. Right. And then dies. And what have you done? Exactly. I'm like, I'm staring down the barrel of 30 in like a month's time. And I'm like, yeah, no conquered empires for me. Um, But yeah, Alexander the Great kind of became the standard for the overachiever in the ancient world. Right. Uh, But early death. And, And as he goes... He's not content to just rule these places, right? We see from uh, the Medo-Persians. So the the Babylonians want to relocate everyone. That's why we have exile, Mm -hmm. because that's their strategy. Spread everyone out so that they're not grouped together by their cultures, and they're not in their homelands. Right. Revolt is hard, because the people you're living with are from a different culture, speaking a different language, mm-hmm. and, and that is that was Nebuchadnezzar's means of controlling a populace mm-hmm. in in uh, in an empire was exile. Yeah, and Persia, conversely, is all about sending people back to where they're from and allowing them to worship their gods. Right, because they were a polytheistic empire. So their idea is let's keep all of everybody's gods happy by making sure that they're worshipped properly where they right. need to be worshipped. And so that was their kind of thing. Just keep, keep the people happy, right? Because that's that was their way of keeping uh, a lid on revolt. Sure, yeah, everyone's happy. They're happy to be ruled mm-hmm. by Artaxerxes. Yeah. So why would I revolt? Yeah, that was their way about it. Alexander said, "Being Greek is awesome." Yeah, you know what would make you happy is if you could be more like me. Exactly. Can you imagine? Yeah. Could you imagine how awesome it would be to be even a bit more like me? <laughs> Why don't we just all become Greek? Yeah. And so that process is something like historians refer to as Hellenization. So if you hear Hellenization or Hellenistic, it means of the Greek culture, right? Greek culture, language, art, philosophy, science. It's this idea of like Greek superiority. Right. Like we figured it out better than anybody else. And we've proven that by defeating everyone else. So why don't you just be more like us? And interestingly enough, the Romans go, yeah, kind of. Yeah, sure. Yeah, we'll just be a tougher version of you, essentially, is what Rome, right. Rome did. We'll be a bigger, tougher version. Yeah, that's that's essentially it. Um, but Alexander dies young. He does. Um, and he doesn't have an heir. No. And so his massive empire is divided amongst his four generals. So this is a great story. We can't skip the story of why he doesn't have an heir. Okay. <laughs> so Alexander the Great is not not only does does he see the Hellenization of the known world as a means of controlling the populace mm-hmm. to just say, hey, you know what? If you all assimilate 
and become Greeks, then there is no revolt because you're all one nation. Right. There is no concept of other peoples. Mm -hmm. We will believe in the same gods, we'll read the same books, we'll speak the same language, we'll eat the same foods, we'll all be one culture. So that was his approach. But it wasn't just because he believed that it was a good mechanism for controlling people and maintaining an empire. He was that kind of narcissistic. Oh, yeah. He was that kind of, I am a gift to you. Mm-hmm. It is, you are, we- I have conquered you and you are welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why every major city that he would conquer as he went through, he would rename Alexandria. <laughs> right. Alexandria is all over the globe. <laughs> That's true. Hey, we just took another city. What do you want to call it? Mm, me. Let's call it me. <laughs> And the next one, I got a good idea. Yeah. Just wait. After we conquer it, I'll let you yeah. know. Uh, we'll call it me. Yeah, so he didn't want to leave it an heir to the entire empire. Right. Because if they took even one more foot of land, then suddenly that one person would have accomplished more than he did. Right. And he doesn't die quickly. Mm. He lays on his deathbed. Mm-hmm. And they come to him. And they say, we are in turmoil. There is battle. You are sick and obviously going to die. Mm-hmm. Who is going to be your heir? Who is going to take on the kingdom? He smiles and closes his eyes and dies. Yeah. Jerk. <laughs> Figure it out for yourself, boys. And so, yeah, his four... His four gr- you talk about leaving people out to dry. I know, I know. So his four greatest oh. generals essentially divide his empire into four. And this is spoken of directly in Daniel, which is super cool. Yep. Um, the goat. The goat. Yeah, the goat who comes against the the ram. In, in Daniel 8. Yep. And, and just, just quickly, the four beasts in Daniel 7 mm-hmm. are are just a restatement of these same four empires. Yep, yep. Right? The lion with the eagle's wings is Babylon. The mm-hmm. bear is the Medo-Persian. The leopard with wings is uh, Alex and the Greeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the diverse beast mm-hmm. is Rome. Yep. So... But the, the Macedonian Empire, before Rome rises, in the mm-hmm. intermediary, is divided into four. Right. And there's only two that are really relevant to Israel. The four horns that spout when the one is broken. Yep. yep. Alex is the one, mm-hmm. the four spout. Yep. Uh, the Seleucids and the Ptolemies are the two groups that are important that come out of that. So the Ptolemies uh, are essentially hold Egypt and the surrounding area which sometimes includes Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where you get people like Cleopatra. Cleopatra right. was not Egyptian. She was Greek. Mm-hmm. Um, then you get the Seleucids, who are essentially Syria and the surrounding region, which sometimes means Israel. Mm-hmm. And they're based in Antioch. And so Judea, over the next couple hundred years, is just passed back and forth. Right. Right. Jerusalem and, and the land of Judea is essentially a crossroads between empires. And it has, I mean... It has been that for a long time, and it continues to be that throughout history. And one might even argue to some extent that land is still kind of that today. It's this it's this important, small yet important strip of land right. um, that is coveted by, by nations and empires. And so, yeah, so in this time where Judea is being passed back and forth, um, the prophets are not speaking. No. But there is... Uh, some amount of writing that's taking place. There is. Um, and we find these books in Catholic Bibles in particular. Orthodox Bibles? Yeah, Eastern Orthodox Bibles. Not Orthodox as in yeah, yeah, yeah. orthodoxy, but, but East- Orthodox as in... So here's... This is an important thing we just touch on here. Mm. Catholic means universal. So that they would call themselves the Catholic Church is to say we are the universal church. Yeah. So oh, you want to be outside of the church Catholic? Yeah. Mm, that seems iffy. And you're not in the church. And then, <laughs> and then another group comes along and says, well, we are the church Orthodox. Mm. The orth- you don't want to be Orthodox? That sounds iffy. So there's a, <laughs> there's a difference between people who would name themselves in such a way yeah. as to say, surely you want to be a part of that because you would never say... I'm unorthodox. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and actually what these words mean. Right. The church universal and the church which abides to the teachings as those teachings have been handed down since the apostles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interestingly enough, <laughs> the orthodox church 
is far from orthodox. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> so in this time, we're, we get the books that the, the, they bear a couple of different names. One of the fancy mm. ones is the Deuterocanonical books. The Deuterocanonical. So we call this the intertestamental period. Mm-hmm. The, th- those who receive these texts call it the Deuterocanonical period. Sure. They win because that's a cool name. That's a cool name. It's also the Apocrypha. That's what we call the books, which means the secret mm. or the lie. Mm. Yeah, I'll take the latter. Anyways, um, <laughs> but it, it, anyways, these books are being written. These books are, are generally not being written in Hebrew. They're being written in Greek. Right. They're not being written in Judea. They're being written uh, mostly in Alexandria. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Alex. Uh, this Alexandria in Egypt. Right. With that Alexandria, that because one. we have to designate because they're yeah. all over the place. Which is kind of cool because it was at its time perhaps even greater than Rome at mm-hmm. that time. Over a million people living there, which was enormous for that that time period in history. Potentially like 100,000 Jews living in Alexandria at that point in time, which is mm-hmm. also crazy. Um, that's a ton of people. But most of those people didn't speak Hebrew. And so the right. writings were done generally in Greek. And they're a strange collection. They are. So we, we kind of tiptoed into this in Daniel where we said there were two bonus chapters in Daniel mm-hmm. that are just bizarre and require you to to talk about them. Like, they require the Greek language in order to really work. Mm. Uh, and so so this is, this is the thing. Sometimes scholars like to pop up and do the whole, like, ooh, mystery book that your church has been hiding from you. They oh. don't—what the church doesn't want you to the read. The Gospel of Judas. Right. And all of these all of these books that they're like, these were because of people in power. They wanted these books thrown out so they could control the— These books have always been known to exist. Mm-hmm. The reason you might not have heard about them is because it was determined very, very, very long ago that these were obviously frauds by their contemporaries. Yeah. Right? So, like, the guy writes the book, and everyone around him goes, no. Mm-hmm. Right? Just because we're 2,500 years removed doesn't mean that we were the first to find it. That's right. These guys were these guys had neighbors at some point, mm-hmm. and they showed the books to their church, trying to pass them along. Mm-hmm. And so some of them are dismissed because they are obviously late mm-hmm. and pseudepigraphally written. Yeah. Pseudepigraphal. That means that means the pseudepigrapha means written under a pseudonym. Yeah. Claiming to be someone that it's not. So I keep a Catholic Bible in my uh on my shelf because sometimes I, I want to reference some of these books. The Book of Wisdom has an introduction that says Obviously not the words of Solomon, obviously from Alexandria, obviously written in Greek, yep. and never in Hebrew. Right. The opening lines of the Book of Wisdom are, this is the wisdom of Solomon. Right. <laughs> right. We have a problem with Scripture opening with a known lie. Sure. And so that's why we reject the Book of Wisdom, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and, and all of these have little problems with them. Uh, some of them, it's just inconsistent in how many there are. Like, are there two books of Maccabees? Sometimes there's a third and fourth. I, mm-hmm. We're going to get into the Septuagint. My Catholic Bible has mm-hmm. two Maccabees. My Septuagint has four. Yeah. Because it's all over the place. Right. And right. so the inconsistency is the reason for the rejection. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so there is a lot of this going on in those 400 years. Mm-hmm. God is not speaking, and people try to fill that void. Yeah. Hmm. It's almost like we see similar things today. <laughs> After the apostles, we have that people writing all kinds of the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Barnabas, yep. or yep. the Epistle of Barnabas. Mm-hmm. All of those kinds of things where people are trying to do the same thing. But it's going on at this point. Yep. yep. But it's not all for naught. No, no, because as you mentioned, there is the writing of the Septuagint, which happens somewhere around 250 B.C. Mm-hmm. And essentially what it is, is it's a Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. And it's extremely important, mm-hmm. extremely important because, well, it was extremely important then because right. at this point, because of the dispersion, 
the prob it's probably safe to say that the majority of the Jewish people living at that time did not speak Hebrew. Yeah. Right. Or even if they spoke it, they might not be able to read it. Right. So suddenly you have your entire population not being able to understand the holy text. Right. But because there was unification of the language across the land because mm -hmm. of Alexander. Yep. There is now common language mm -hmm. amongst all the region. Yeah. And so we have the Septuagint. It's also it's also called the LXX. The two are interchangeable. Uh, it's a Roman numeral. Yeah, the, the LXX. 50, 10, and 10 yeah. means 70. Mm -hmm. The legend being that, go ahead, you, Se you can tell it. 70 authors yes. wrote this translation in 70 days. Right. And when they, all independently. All independently in cells isolated yeah. from one another. And when they brought it together, mm -hmm. everybody had the exact same thing. Verbatim. Which seems a little far-fetched, mm -hmm. um, but in all likelihood, it probably was a significant number of scholars sure. working on the translation, and uh, and they did a generally a pretty good job of it. Right. Right? Uh, we know this. We know that it was a trustworthy translation mm -hmm. because the Septuagint is what the apostles are generally quoting in the New Testament. Right. So if you, if you ever look in your Bible and you see a an Old Testament quote, and you think, oh, I like that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to check out the cross-reference. Mm -hmm. And you flip back, and you're like, it's, I got, it's a little diff different. Yeah, it's, it's a little different. different. Yeah. What's probably happening is that your Greek New Testament is quoting the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament, mm -hmm. uh, and there's just a little bit of, of different approach to it between uh, that Septuagint, LXX, mm -hmm. translation of the Hebrew. Mm -hmm. So you've gone from Hebrew to Greek to English. To English. Yeah. Uh, Which are all three very different languages. Right. Versus what we do have in the preserved text mm -hmm. of the, the Hebrew text, mm -hmm. uh, the Maserotic text, mm -hmm. which is just Hebrew to English. Yeah, direct translation. Yeah. 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 So that's why there's sometimes, you, you'll notice different things. But there are times in Hebrew where we look at it and we're like, I'm, I'm not sure exactly how to, like, we know how to translate it, but I don't know how to read it. How do I mm -hmm. interpret this? Mm -hmm. What do I make of this thing? Right. And that's wh that's why I keep a Septuagint, mm -hmm. uh, because when I come to a place like that in the Old Testament, sometimes I can open it up and say, "Well, what did the what did they think about this when they when you had Hebrew speakers, mm -hmm. Jewish scholars translated into Greek? Mm -hmm. What was their interpretation yeah. when they made that translation?" Mm -hmm. And that informs my understanding of it, uh, which is why it's used by Bible translators uh, when we're writing translations of Scripture. Yeah. It's, yeah. a, it's a handy thing to see the choices they made in translating because they were native speakers. Yeah. And, and that informs our understanding of the Old Testament. So it's, it's handy in translation. It's also handy in that it's canonized. Right. They gather the books of the Old Testament and say, this is the scripture. Mm -hmm. And we have that established not at the Council of Nicaea in the 4th century, mm -hmm. but predating the arrival of Christ. Yeah, yeah. And so when they went to the synagogue, there was a canon of Scripture. There were these books that we talked about, the pseudepigraphals and all that, that had been rejected. Mm -hmm. Some of them hadn't even been written yet. That's right. how bad some of them are. Right, right. Uh, but the ones that had, had been rejected. The sifting had been done, and the Jewish scholars had said, no, these are the books Mm -hmm. that are God's word to his people, mm -hmm. which is significant because so many of these books talk down to the Jews. And right. they spend so much time in the Old Testament pointing out all of the flaws and the troubles of the Jews. People mm -hmm. that want to come at it and say this is all a man-made thing don't understand that if, they, if the Jews were going to do that, you'd be like, hey, which books are we going to throw out and which ones are we going to keep? Yeah, I say we keep judges. Yeah, <laughs> If you're doing it for yourself, you're like, yeah, let's hide that one. Yeah, yeah. And maybe like Jeremiah and, and Ezekiel and pretty much all the prophets that are calling us out for our right, <laughs> right. Like let's just stick with let's do Genesis yeah. portions of Exodus, mm -hmm. and we'll leave it at that. Samuel, you know David's pretty well. Maybe edited version, <laughs> edited version. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, uh, seriously, you're right. You're but right. they they canonize scripture for us mm -hmm. exactly the way that we have it. So the Jewish text. They divide it up and give different names to different sections the than Tanakh we would. And the Torah and the Torah. Sure. Yeah, yeah sure. Uh, but the books that they use and what we use 
are exactly the same. Yeah, they're the same books. Uh, it's not until much later that you see people trying to canonize all of these apocryphal, pseudepigraphal, mm-hmm. deuterocanonical texts. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's get back onto the historical timeline here because there's something right. we got to talk about. Yeah, we got to talk about the Maccabees. Yeah, which is a historical reason that I keep apocrypha in my library because although we would say they are not inspired of god Mm -hmm. the maccabees are useful history sure yeah so we have to talk about there's this guy named antiochus and he was one of the seleucids so he was one a descendant of you know the general of uh one of alexander's generals who was controlling the the empire that was based in syria and he also wanted to be like Alexander and Hellenize the Jewish people because, understandably, the Jewish people were very resistant to the Hellenization. Sure, they spoke Greek and, and translated the scriptures into Greek, but there were other things they were just not willing. They drew the line in certain places. And so he goes into Jerusalem. And, by the way, Antiochus named himself Epiphanes, which means the appearance of God, and set himself, in fact, up as a god. Um he outlaws circumcision. Mm. Mm, bad move. Then he goes into the temple mm-hmm. and desecrates it by burning a pig on the altar in the Holy of Holies and spreading the juices of that pig over the temple. Wow. What an abomination. Mm-hmm. What a desecration. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Anyways. The, uh, probably, <laughs> probably the most unclean of unclean animals. Yep. And yeah, in the most holy of places, right? And so, understandably, that upsets the people, and which is not a good way to maintain an empire. No, no, it is not. And he's going to find that out pretty quick. There's this guy Matthias who's a priest, and he's got five sons, right? And these five sons are pretty zealous for the Lord, pretty zealous for their own independence. Uh, one of them is Judas Maccabeus. Yes. The hammer. And he's an excellent military commander. I mm-hmm. mean, despite being outnumbered and outgunned and having, you know, his troops with far less training and all this stuff, he revolts and he throws off the overlords mm-hmm. and establishes an independent Israel. An independent Israel that is a larger territory than what they hold today. Yeah. Um, and they. They keep that relative independence for a while. Right. It's a couple of notes that I think are worth mentioning in this. Uh, it's unlikely, maybe, that the name was actually Maccabeus. It's an acronym, which means who is like you, O Lord. Mm. Uh, possibly. Possibly took that as a name. Sure. Uh, because of its significant meaning. Uh, but there are questions about that historically. Neither here nor there really in the story, but mm-hmm. interesting thought. Yeah, it's not uncommon in the ancient world to take on names. Right. All the Roman leaders and the Greek leaders, I mean, yeah. you would accomplish something and then you would take on a name yeah, as like a title. Anyways. Yeah, and and in the, so the way the Maccabees work is, first Maccabee is the story of all of this taking place. Mm-hmm. Uh, after that, the second Maccabee is just sort of focusing in on the man himself, mm. Judas. Uh, and so third, I don't, I, I don't guess I've ever read three and four. Uh, but one of the things that happens here is as they're fighting, they decide, Hey, we're, we're doing this because we want to be God's people, which means we're not going to fight on, uh, on Sabbath. Mm. And those people who didn't fight on the Sabbath died because they were slain. Mm. And they decide, you know what? I think we should fight on the Sabbath. (laughs) I think this is a sign from God that we're supposed to fight on the Sabbath. (laughs) And there becomes this weird tension inside of it. In Mm. order to preserve God's covenant, we Mm. have to break it. Mm. Um, And so that's that's a significant moment in the turning of the story. Mm -hmm. And the story culminates with the recapture of their land, of their their city, and eventually their land, mm-hmm. uh, and the call to practice Hanukkah. Yeah. Well, th- what they had to do was burn oil mm-hmm. 
in the lamps in in the temple. But the temple was was had deteriorated so much, and the store of oil that they had available to them was so little, right? That they're like, okay, we're gonna light these lamps, but they're not gonna it's not gonna last for long, right? But apparently, this according again according to this, uh, the small amount of oil burned for eight days, mm-hmm. and that's what Hanukkah is about, right? It's like, look how God extended the life of the amount of oil in the temple yeah. for eight days. Yeah, so they reestablished the temple and worship in the temple, mm-hmm. consecrated to the God of Israel. Mm-hmm. And they, let's see, what does it say about, is nothing about Passover, Feast of Booths, mm-hmm. oh, just Hanukkah. <laughs> just Hanukkah. Just Hanukkah. Yeah, so... Out of the Maccabees, we get this Jewish dynasty, the Hasmonean dynasty, um, and they're holding Judea, Samaria, Galilee, far side of the Jordan. Um, over time, they kind of descend into corruption, right? They're kind of holding the kingship and the priesthood. It's all kind of this, like, it's almost like a mafia family. It's it like, is very much a mafia. <laughs> it's like, we're going to just take care of everything here, and if you don't like it, you might disappear. And that's right. kind of what, what happens. Um, and that goes on for like essentially about a hundred years. Right. Until Pompey the Great show another the great. Another great one. <laughs> another great one. <laughs> who emulated Alexander the Great. And he's from Rome. And uh and he takes Jerusalem easily. Yeah. Like without breaking a sweat. Mm-hmm. Um and some of the people are actually kind of kind of ready kind of okay with it yeah because like the the mafia family thing has been going mm-hmm. on for a while and they're like this yeah we just need a change yeah even to the point that some of these jewish writings in greek that we've called pseudepigraphal or the deuterocanonical mm-hmm. not really scripture but claiming to be scripture works mm-hmm. are just sort of talking about how the jews shouldn't really be putting up with the maccabees yeah um, which is sort of like oh that's interesting that that came from a prophet of old uh <laughs> Yeah. Um, Pompey gets into a bit of trouble because he goes into the Holy of Holies. Uh, He doesn't desecrate it the same way that Antiochus did, Mm -hmm. but uh, people aren't super happy with that. And so people have mixed feelings about Rome. Uh, And so Rome ends up setting up a governor, a guy named Herod, Mm -hmm. who was Jewish-ish. Jewish-ish? Yeah, he was actually an Edomian an Edomite descendant of Esau, not descendant of Jacob. But they figured he was close enough. Right. <laughs> who, he, will, who will know the difference? Who's going to know the difference? You're all the same anyway. Yeah, yeah. And he was a he was a pretty significant player. He was well-liked in Rome itself, so they let him be a governor. And he was even allowed to call himself king, mm-hmm. um, although he still answered to, to Rome. Right. Um, and so he comes in comes into the situation— um, to kind of win the people over, decides um, the current temple that they have, they need a, they need some serious upgrades. Right. And right. the people of Ezra would agree, right? Yeah. Crying, yeah, th- like, those who remembered. What is this compared to Solomon's yeah. temple? Well, he actually goes for, he swings for the fences with mm-hmm. this temple. So he, it be, they begin the reconstruction in 20 BC, and the plan, I mean, this thing's going to be huge. Mm-hmm. Like, in some respects— greater than the temple of solomon as far as like size and right and, and i mean i don't know about splendor it's it's hard you know it might be an apples and oranges situation but anyways this thing is is massive they're going to spend 80 years rebuilding this thing uh which means that when jesus is in the temple they're like mid reconstruction project right um, still building still building because they were very specific on on how it had to be done only levites could do the construction and they could only tear down very small sections of the old stuff before they built new because they never wanted the temple to be in such a state of disrepair that it could not be used for worship. It's probably also about building permits, <laughs> right? If you do a significant <laughs> renovation, you have to get a building permit. And so if you only renovate a foot here and there, maybe <laughs> you don't. I think I'm onto something. I think they're onto something. I think, yeah, maybe. Um, what what I thought of this when I was reading through is like this adds a bit of significance to Jesus' statement when he's in the temple when he says I'm going to tear this thing down and rebuild it in three days, <laughs> and there's some Levite over in the corner with a hammer and chisel, like looking over his shoulder, like what did he say? What did he say? Like this is an 80 year project. They're only 50 years into the project when Jesus is saying this, mm-hmm. and they're not done yet. 
Mm-hmm. And, and they finish they finish like in what like in the 60s 60 AD and then in 70 AD it's destroyed the Romans burn it to the ground <laughs> ouch oh, that's rough man ouch that is just when you're only building out a foot at a time how do you know when you're done i don't know <laughs> yeah that's a good question it's interesting that's a good yeah. question but yeah the herod's temple is is significant and so this is the herod who towards the very end of his reign finds out that the Magi have arrived. And, and we'll get into this stuff yeah. as we get into the Gospels, but it's that Herod. Right. There's multiple Herods. We'll have to distinguish between them. Um, there's like six different Herods mentioned in the Bible. Right. I mean, sometimes it just throws out Herod. Sometimes it gives the... But it's not... all Because otherwise, people might think, okay, wait, this dude was rebuilding the temple 40 years before Jesus was born, but then also is like around when Paul's around. Right. It's not the same Herod. He dies... Jesus comes back, mm. but then he also puts Jesus on trial. Yeah, he's eaten by worms at one point. Yeah, there's not a bunch. All, there's a bunch of the same. It's like it's like a family name that's used as a title. It's like Caesar. Yeah, Caesar was originally a family name, got turned into a title. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so we've talked about the historical thing, but let's get back into some theological stuff because during this time, like the the very last prophet Malachi is talking about a coming Messiah. Right, and, and the, many of the prophets before him all speaking about the Messiah who will come, and so we need to talk a little bit about the messianic expectations mm-hmm. that the people had during this time. What it looked right. like. What were they expecting? Yeah, and, and I think I think in order to do this too, we need to talk about schools of thought. Sure, um, and we have time to do it. Yeah, because we planned on going a little bit long. Yeah, it's a bonus. We've episode. been nerding out, and we still got time. <laughs> nice. This is going to end up being a three-hour now. That we're <laughs> uh, so, so in the Old Testament, we only see offices established by God, priests, Levites, that sort of thing. Yep. None of that's really discussed in the New Testament, but there's all this talk about the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Zealots, mm-hmm. the Herodians, mm-hmm. and these other groups. So where do those come from? Like, At, at what point do we transition from just sort of these people doing their office to now all of a sudden we have what are essentially political parties. Yeah, no, that that's actually a better way. It's, it's, it's a, it's a better comparison to talk about Pharisees and Sadducees and zealots and whatnot, not to compare them to like denominations of Christianity like we have today, right. but rather to different political parties, different responses to the political, cultural, socioeconomic realities of their day. Yeah. And, and they, they are birthed from interpretations of Scripture. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And so you have things like uh, the Sadducees, who have this really interesting statement mm. that we believe in all things except the supernatural. Right. Because that doesn't make sense. Right. Uh, and so they're, they're followers of God, practicers of law, mm. but naturalists, mm-hmm. materialists. Mm-hmm for just to put a modern tag on it. Uh, no resurrection of the dead. Those kinds of things, just not a, it's not going to happen. And that made them sad, you see. Yes. Do you remember that from, from Sunday school? I, yes. There was some kind of saying. I can't remember the Pharisee one, though. Yeah. And then, <laughs> uh, and the Pharisees mm-hmm. were, were probably the more orthodox, although they were hardcore law. Yeah, like hyper-legalist. But the people, the people liked that. Yeah, they did. The people were like, no, from what we're, from what's being read, it seems to us the Pharisees are right. Mm-hmm. Um, but that didn't matter. The Pharisees had the favor of the people. But then you have this sort of like the Maccabean mafia family saying like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if I was not only the king, but also the high priest? <laughs> and the Pharisees open up the scripture and they're like, not allowed. Yeah. And the Sadducees are like, you know, if I was in charge, I don't think I would find that to be a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so the uh, they're just like, okay, done. Mm-hmm. You're in charge. So they were not raised to their position because the people believe in that interpretation. Mm. They gained that through a political deal that they made with the powers that be. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, even a couple of revolts. Yep. 
in the temple. Mm-hmm. Like people throw in their sacrifices at the Sadducees, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They're squelched. So by the time we get into the first century, we have the Sadducees are still in charge. Yep. Uh, the Pharisees are, although although they are not in charge, they are the majority party. Yeah. Yeah, so the Sadducees are the favorites of the establishment. Mm-hmm. The Pharisees are the favorites of the people at right. large. Yeah. Right. And then there are some small groups, mm-hmm. third-party candidates. Yep. And fourth-party candidates. Yeah. That we don't really hear much about no. in Scripture, but they did exist in history. Sure. Yeah, there's like yeah. the Essenes, a bunch of dudes who just like hung out in the caves by the Dead Sea. Mm-hmm. That's where we get the Dead Sea Scrolls from. Right. They were just like, they were like monks, essentially. They were mm-hmm. like, we're just not, we're just not, this whole society thing is just a whole waste of time. We're just going to hang out in these caves and write stuff and copy it and mm-hmm. preserve it. Right. And you know what? Kind of glad they did because we get, we got a lot of good. Uh, yeah, where would we be without Qumran <laughs> and the Dead Sea Scrolls, yeah, right? Exactly. That's a huge thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So with these also come different teachings on expectation of the Messiah, mm-hmm. the Messianic expectation. I, I think sometimes we, we really oversimplify because we don't always take time to teach history in church. Uh, a lot of times what we end up doing is we teach the scripture mm-hmm. for the sermon for quick impact. Sure. Uh, and in order to do that, we make statements, big, broad statements that aren't fair yeah. to history. Like, I, I don't know how many times I've heard a pastor make a statement that says, the expectation of the people on Jesus is that he would be a king, an earthly king ruling a kingdom. Mm-hmm. That he was going to bring back the kingdom of David as it was known to be the kingdom of David, a political, mm-hmm. physical kingdom. Yeah. I said that literally like a few weeks ago <laughs> in a sermon. <laughs> so this whole bonus episode is just your opportunity to clear the water. And re- but anyway. I, I, don't, I feel like I, was, I wasn't wrong, but I didn't give the full picture right. of what the expectation was. That is an expectation of some. Yes. That was... And that was a view amongst views right. of what the Messiah would bring. So let's talk about some of the other ones because that one's well-known. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of the most common one. Right. Um, there is, over time, as the scribes were kind of pouring through the, the, the prophets in particular, they, they started to pull out different kind of nuances in the Messianic prophecies, right? Things about, oh, okay, maybe the scope of what this Messiah is going to bring is greater than just the nation of Israel itself, right? There, there is a, a, a worldwide impact in what he is going to do. Right. Not simply that Israel would be first among the nations, but that, that this coming king would be king of the world. Right. So there's kind of an expansion in the scope of what the Messiah is going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one aspect also, there's a more individualistic thing that kind of happened, too, as they went through, because they're, they're reading in Daniel about resurrection and those types of things. And so then they, they're realizing that, oh, he's also going to usher in something that has, um, that gives us more hope for a resurrection as well, right? That, this, that there's like this individualistic um, faith that, that those who are righteous will be united with him and share in the blessings, not just in a renewed uh physical nation of Israel, but in a, in a greater reality. Right. Um, so those things were spoken of. Right. So, so the anticipation being that there would be uh, not only a corporate blessing and rule, mm-hmm. but an individual rule. Yeah. And that that would not only need a corporate engagement, but an individual engagement. Yep. That foundation has been laid. Yeah. Uh, that it would be for something greater than just the people of Israel, a nation among nations. That foundation is laid in messia- messianic anticipations yep. uh, prior to the first century. Mm-hmm. Um, just prior, but still before Jesus comes. Yep. Uh, the issue that in some instances that is not even going to be a physical kingdom Yeah. Yep. is there. Yep. Right? Um, you can read all about this in sure. That's right. Sure, 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 sure. Uh, and so, so these things, these things help us to understand that when Jesus comes and starts talking about the kingdom he's going to build, 
it's not like the Pharisees are hearing this for the first time. And the Sadducees and the scribes are like, wow, that came out of left field. Right. They hear that and and what what they're when they when they don't buy into it, their struggle is not what I wanted to hear. Right. Mm-hmm. There were options. I did. I was kind of hoping that wouldn't be the one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so that's likely the pushback. Mm-hmm. And when they talk about a want for a physical kingdom, that is there in their teachings as well. Mm-hmm. But it also shows the heart of man to say, "I'm not eternally minded, mm-hmm. and I care less about the nations. Mm-hmm. I just wanted material." peace here and now mm-hmm. material peace and provision here and now for my people mm-hmm. uh, that's my greatest concern yeah um lucky for us we are sanctified by the holy spirit and are not so self-focused <laughs> <laughs> yeah speak for yourself um <laughs> so i think one of the cool things too that one of the humbling things i think as i was was we were diving into the variety of the messianic expectations in advance of christ's coming was that there were a variety of views with different nuances, different emphasis, and these kind of ebbed and flowed based on the political and cultural goings-on of that time, right? Like like there were, you know, the Maccabean Revolt had mm-hmm. an impact, right? right? But then Rome's domination had an impact, but then the rebuilding of the temple had. And so there's these different things that were going on around the people that would kind of pull and push and, and kind of build up or kind of reduce the emphasis on various aspects of these expectations. Mm-hmm. And it, and as I was reading about that and kind of realizing that, all this nuance, it made me think of us anticipating the second coming of Christ. Right. Right. How there have historically been different views that have held more or less prominence. And, and, and sometimes the goings on around us tend to emphasize certain aspects of it, right? We see certain views kind of come to prominence fairly recently, uh, at least in the scope of church history, um, that are the reason they are so popular is because there are things happening in the geopolitical world around us that seem to point to some of the things that that view emphasizes. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that's the real danger. Like a, a lot of people get frustrated that people that have like hardcore eschatological views mm. get frustrated with me and they're like, what you just, just pick one and stick with it and <laughs> shout down the rest because that's what we do. Right. Uh, and that I would hold it so loosely. The reason that I hold that loosely, like what is going to happen? What is exactly the millennium? I have my position on it as an all millennialist, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm not going to, even though I just said it, I don't necessarily walk around with a badge on my shoulder. No, sure. I'm an all millennialist and I interpret all scripture according to my all millennial views. Mm-hmm. Right. Or assume that everyone who doesn't share those same views is being deceived. Right. Because what we're trying to do is anticipate the second coming of Christ. And when they were anticipating the first coming of the Messiah, like you said, there were a good number of them that got it seriously wrong. There were some of them that got it a little wrong. Mm-hmm. And some of them that maybe were closer than they anyone else around them would have ever expected. Mm-hmm. The issue is not how right or how wrong they were. The issue is when God revealed his hand, did they say, no, not in line with what I anticipated? Right. Or did they say, I'm so blind, I'm so convinced of myself that I'm blind to what God is doing Mm -hmm. and miss it entirely. Mm -hmm. Or did they look at it as many of the Pharisees did and say, oh, because there were those that walked away and followed Christ. Yeah, for sure. Um, And so the reason I hold it lightly is not because I don't care or as some have accused me, because I just don't know. <laughs> well, if I had, I did have a guy tell me, you know, if you just knew more about this, you'd you'd know why I'm right. You should just study more. Um, which I thought I could always study more. Um, but uh, but the issue the issue is just I don't want to be so set mm. in something that we can't know. That Christ has told us you you won't know exactly when and how. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I don't want to I don't want to miss what God is doing, mm-hmm. in the same way that we see the first century miss yeah. what God is doing. Yeah, I'm willing to change my position mid air. Sure, <laughs> or before then, <laughs> or before then, or, or whatever. I, you know what I mean? There's a famous account, and and I don't I don't remember it. 
I should remember because it would be a better story, of a, of a pastor who was preaching through Revelation. Okay. Gets halfway through. Mm-hmm comes back and says, open with me to Revelation chapter one. We have to start over. I was studying this week. Mm-hmm. I think I'm wrong. Wow. That's and humility. Just, That's just humility. taught it all over again. Wow. Uh, and so, so yeah, I, I think, I think you have to be careful how, how stuck you get in that because mm-hmm. we see inside the, the schools of thought and messianic anticipations, mm-hmm. um, that, that people who really worked at it, uh, didn't exactly get it right. And some of them, got so sold on their own understanding that they missed God. Mm-hmm. They missed the explanation because they were so sold on their anticipation. Yeah. Um, so this is 400 years of silence, God not speaking to his people since Malachi. We call it the intertestamental period. Others who receive those writings call it the deuterocanonical period, which just means the reception of the second canon Mm -hmm. although they don't call the new testament the third canon yeah which is weird yeah uh and that silence is broken when angels begin to appear and say there's going to be a boy born Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, two boys two boys yeah that are going to be born one of them is going to pave the way Mm -hmm. the other one's that guy yeah he the other one is the way yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. No, and there's the connection is really cool between the end of Malachi and what he says about the one who's going to pave the way. Yes. And that some of it being word for word what the angel is telling the father of John the Baptist. Right. Who's serving in the temple. Right. It's it's just it's so cool. It is. So, anyways, yeah. We're very excited to get into the New Testament. Not that the not that the Old Testament hasn't been this fantastic ride and this journey that I know like for myself, I've just learned so much and been stretched in so many ways um, and really see like the emphasis, the different emphasis in, in the old Testament in particular ought to shape uh, my understanding of who God is and who I am in, in, within mm-hmm. that picture. Uh, but I'm excited to get into the new, new Testament, which is going to be, which is going to be, have its own kind of sense of intensity. It is going to even just trying to discuss Mm-hmm. on a weekly basis, what we've read, mm-hmm. it's going to be incredibly fast. There'll be weeks where it's like, oh, we read four epistles this week. Buckle up, buttercup. Yeah, it's like, oh, we've got like Philippians and Colossians and Galatians, like all in one. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to be, it's going to be crazy. The Gospels, again, because we're doing this chronologically, we're going to be reading chapters, like concurrent chapters in like Matthew and Luke and John and Mark, and like at this kind of one after the other. Right. So it's going to start off a little bit slow and redundant as we're reading the various accounts. A little bit, yeah. And then once we get into the epistles, boom. Yeah. Man, it flies. Yeah. It's going to be intense. All right. Well, that was fun. Yeah. A little history history class. And we kept it under an hour. We did. So, thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, in cooperation with Gospel Coalition of Canada and is produced by Alex Walker. See you later. Take care, everybody.